Hey everybody, this is Cindy Fish. You are listening to the At His Feet podcast. I want to invite you today to set aside your whirlwind of busyness and mental to-do list to have a seat beside me at the feet of Jesus. Now let's pursue Him together. Thank you for listening. Hello. Welcome to episode uh, whatever this is of the podcast. I don't have Wi-Fi right now, and so I don't have, you know, internet where I can just pull it up and look. Usually I have to look every single time. What episode is is this? It's episode 20-something, but whatever. My phone's right, not right next to me. I have, however... Uh, stepped it up from last week. Last week, I couldn't find my microphone. <laughs> okay, so when you travel with four people in a minivan, soon to be five, I'm really nervous about the five part of the minivan life. Things just get scattered. And so uh, my microphone had gotten taken out of my podcast backpack and all this stuff and whatever. So I didn't have it last week and I could tell the difference. And so hopefully this week sounds a little bit better. And hopefully you didn't notice last week. Maybe you did. If you did, I'm sorry. Anyways, so today we're going to talk about Moses and his encounter with God. He actually had so many those mountaintop moments and this time, though, is the first time that God comes to him. And it's a really neat, really neat moment. Uh, his story is is really cool. And uh, so I'll talk about his story, and then we'll talk about the moment, and then also what the name means, of course. And then we'll bring it back to New Testament, too. And so that'll be cool, too. I hope that this series has been blessing you. I know it's different. Uh, it's more of a study, more of we're just digging into the characters, who they were, what they did, how God showed himself to them. But it's really just in hopes to enrich our one-on-one uh, relationship with God, right? So last Sunday, I think it was Sunday morning. Yeah, we were in church. We're still in Odessa. We leave We leave here. Uh, when you listen, we'll be gone. But we leave here soon. This is our, our last service tonight. We'll be headed to uh, Beeville, Texas on Sunday and then uh, Magnolia, Texas on Sunday night. And so, but anyways, uh, Sunday morning we were here and they were singing this song. Um <laughs> I don't know the name of this song. I was going to tell you some words from it, but I don't know them. So it was something about the name of Jesus. Something, not actually a song called that, but they were singing about the name of Jesus and just the power of knowing the name of Jesus, all this stuff. So I... So here they have nursery. So I didn't have Abby on my hip. Sometimes it makes it harder to really just soak soak in what's going on, you know, and really worship without thinking, what's this kid doing? And so I had Ezra, but not Abby, and then my hands were lifted, and I was singing a song, and all of a sudden, I just thought, God, I am so grateful to know you. You know, as we have studied these characters, I have seen that, you know, the encounters they had with God were incredible, right? Incredible moments, but even then, most of them didn't talk to God just every day. Abraham, we talked about it the other day, like, what was it, like 13 years or something crazy, 25 years between times that God spoke to him. And even then, when God came to these uh, men and women, we talked about Hagar, he only revealed a piece of himself. They only saw a small piece of who he was. For Abraham, uh, last week, right, they saw, he saw he was a provider. God, I know you're a provider. And God, I know that you're 
everlasting, right? The El Olam. But when we call on Jesus and when we talk to Jesus and when we sing about Jesus, we see the full picture if we choose to, right? And so I am so grateful just for this study because it's just it's really, I don't know, it's made me grateful, grateful that I get to know all of him because Jesus, right, wraps up all of these in one. And I'm just thankful to live in the time that we live in and that God chose us to live in the now. But anyways, that's all. It just, it moved me on Sunday, just thinking of, God, you only showed them a little bit. God, you only came to them in this one moment, but I get to feel him every single day. And you have the opportunity to feel him every single day. We can go in prayer and we can call on Jesus and he's there. And so for that, I am thankful. Let's go ahead and get to the episode. Here I come to you at nap time for my kids. Uh, Being pregnant, I have been so tired and so A lot of times, nap time has been my nap time too, but today I am sacrificing sleep for the podcast. I hope you appreciate it. (laughs) Um, Today, the name that we are talking about is Jehovah. Um, There's actually two thoughts on this. Every episode, I feel like I'm like, well, they kind of disagree, or there's two different thoughts. Okay, well, I guess it's because some of these things were so long ago, and... um, it's easy for things to get mixed up a little bit in time, I guess. I don't know. Um, but there are two thoughts on this as far as um, pronouncing the Hebrew letters in English. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain it as best I can. Um, if you want to know more about it, Google it. It will all pop up. I read so many different things. but So some say this name that God gave to Moses at the burning bush, we'll get into the story, I promise. Uh, some say it as Yahweh, uh, and then some as Jehovah. Um, the reason for this is because during the time when the Hebrews stopped saying this special name, God tells Moses, this is a special name. This is my my unique name for my people to call me. So they stopped saying the name altogether. There was a time, um, and then it got mixed up. The letter Y in Hebrew, it's called Yud, translates to a J in English. So if you were, you know, going with that the name that God gave Moses at the burning bush was Jehovah, you would say Yehovah. That's more of um, how they would say it. In Hebrew, this is me listening to the <laughs> the little voice uh you know, pronunciation thing on the concordance and on YouTube. So doing my best. So if you did say it as Yehovah, there really wouldn't be as much of a difference between the two names that they, um, I guess, consider to be possibilities for this name, the I am, right? Um, Yahweh and Yehovah, they would be more similar. But in the concordance, basically when they wrote KJV, they were with the belief that the name that God gave Moses was Yehovah, which we pronounce in English Jehovah. So I'm going to go with that today just because that's what's in the concordance. That's what's in the KJV. Um, 
And it's because of at the time, well, I'll get to it. Okay. So why, why was there so much confusion over a name so significant? And you'll hear when God gives it to Moses, he tells him like, this is a specific name. This is a special name. Why would there be confusion over that? Well, it appears more than uh, 6,800 times in the Old Testament. This name, Jehovah, Jehovah, uh, shows up in every book of the Old Testament, but Esther, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. And it's the sacred personal name of Israel's God. Because it was considered so sacred, I really, I'm not sure how it happened. Um, maybe someone didn't understand um, wrong teaching or something, but they believed it could only be. It was so sacred. This is what they began to believe at some point that it was so sacred, this name, that it could only be spoken aloud by priests worshiping in the Jerusalem temple. No one else got to say this name. And here we are, we say Jesus like 50 times, you know, in prayer and every song we sing, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But their name, uh, Jehovah, this name, they were not allowed to say it. If you were just common, if you were like me, you couldn't say it. Only the priest worshiping in the Jerusalem temple could say Jehovah. And then after the destruction of the temple in 70 um, AD, they didn't say the name at all. And so then when they would read their Bible, where it would say, um, you know, the first five books they had at the time, uh, these first five books were written, we believe, um, by Moses. And so you'll see later, like, God doesn't reveal himself as his name until it's to Moses um, in Exodus. But the thing is, is that Moses wrote all those five books. And so even in Genesis, this name, Jehovah, is written, this I am, the I am that I am. So when they would read their Bible out loud, they would substitute Adonai in its place. So they wouldn't even read when they were reading their Bible. They wouldn't even read Jehovah. They would say Adonai. Adonai, Adonai means my Lord. Um, it's not as proper of a name. But the name Jehovah, there's no one else that that name can apply to. Remember in um, even episode one, when I talked about Elohim, I said there were so many different things that this name could apply to. I Even like kings and things like that. So when they would substitute Adonai in its place, so they wouldn't say Jehovah. And so because of this, however they said it then and pronounced it then, the correct pronunciation was lost. And they would only have the four letters written. And so then later, when they were trying to translate it for um, like the King James Version and all those things, like in the medieval times, they substituted the vowels that were in Adonai to go in for those four consonants in between them. And so then there was, they said, okay, well, it's Jehovah. Well, then later they say, no, it's not, it's Yahweh. And so really there's debate about it, but, and it's just because of the vowels. And it's, it's all because they believe this was such a sacred name, they couldn't even say it. But we'll continue. That's why I just want to explain that is my confusion. That is the confusion around the name. However you say it. <laughs> God knows, right? <laughs> but the name means the I am that I am. And how you can know where this is, because we're not reading in Hebrew, because I don't know how to read Hebrew, and you probably don't either. <laughs> Anywhere in your Bible that LORD is written in all caps, 
the word Jehovah was there. So as you read, uh, if you didn't already know this, now when you move forward reading, you'll see it. You'll, you'll see Lord in all caps. If Lord is in all caps, that was Jehovah. Okay. To put it in perspective of what this name really meant and how it was so different was um, Elohim was given as the name for God as the creator of the universe. And, you know, that part we already studied, but Elohim implied strength, power, justice. But Jehovah, Jehovah is a reminder of God's power to deliver his people against all odds It reminds us of God's closeness to us as humans, His tenderness, His care. It reminds us that He is a personal God because this was His personal name for His people. Genesis 2 and 7, a good example of it, it says, And the Lord, and that's all caps, so Jehovah, uh, God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. I don't think it gets any more personal than that. So we'll get into Moses today, though. I really do think it's a neat story. Um, Since we just ended with Abraham and Isaac, I want to catch you up. I promise I will do it really fast. Isaac's grandson, you know, because, okay, when we get to Moses, he's in Egypt. And where we just left, they weren't anywhere near Egypt, right? Isaac's grandson, Joseph, through a series of unfortunate events, was sold by his brothers into slavery, uh, making many stops, but finally landing second in command to the Pharaoh of the time in Egypt. God placed him there. God blessed him there. There was famine in all the land except for Egypt because God gave Joseph divine wisdom in Egypt. Uh, Joseph's family ended up being reunited with him in their search for food, and he invited them to come and live in Egypt with him. They actually moved and lived in a part of, of the land called Goshen. So Goshen was very fertile, very lush. It wasn't quite what you think of when you think of Egypt, but this is where they ended up. So Um, Weird insert here, when Joseph's family moved to Egypt, he told them to tell Pharaoh that they were shepherds by trade. Random. Why? Uh, and, And Joseph said this, he said, because shepherds are an abomination to the Egyptians. Several things I could say about that, but in reference to today, I thought that was uh, something to bring up because Moses later becomes a shepherd in Midian. I'll talk about it after he flees Egypt. So it's interesting to me, he didn't just run away. He ran right into a trade that he had been taught to look down on all his life. So I thought that was kind of a a neat thing. Um, The Israelites, though, they grew and they grew at this point. So here is where all of Joseph's family, so now Hebrews, are in Egypt living in Goshen, and they are growing, and they are growing, and they are growing. And they had been in Egypt for generations, living peacefully, because the Pharaoh of Joseph's time allowed them to come and welcomed them to come. He told him, he said, have all of your people come, all of them, and And they blessed them. So it was okay for them to come. But the Pharaoh of now, generations later, Moses' time felt threatened. And so he enslaved the Israelites. 
But, you know, it sounds like it's about to get really bad, and it does. But can I tell you that the Hebrews, the Israelites' comfort in Egypt would have caused them to miss out on God's great promise to them? What was the need for them to go out and search for this promised land if they were content where they were, if there was nothing wrong where they were? Discomfort or struggle can lead us to greater things. If you listen, you will see. So here the Hebrews are, they're slaves. Pharaoh was forcing them to do work for Egypt, forcing them to build treasure houses for him. Uh, Pithom and Ramses are the cities mentioned in the Bible. It wasn't enough, though, to enslave the Israelites. This Pharaoh was intimidated by the strength of them. Exodus 1 and 12 says this. I think everything I read today will be KJV. If, if it's not, I'll, I'll tell you, but it should be. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And, the, and they, the Egyptians, were grieved because the children of Israel. So the more the Egyptians afflicted the people of God, the more they multiplied and grew. And I read that and I just thought, wow, (laughs) how many of us could learn from this? The more they were afflicted, the worse it got, the more they grew. As I read this the other day, I reflected and I thought, do I, do I do that? Do I grow in times of crisis or do I curl up in a ball and want to hide? I'd love to say that I always grow, but it's not always the case. The second is probably more of my first response. You know, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go through this. All those things when struggle comes or crisis comes, you know, I wish I didn't have to deal with this. Those kind of things. I'm I'm just human, I guess. But I'm sure if I could see you face to face, you could say the same. But let's just do better next time. The next time persecution comes or affliction comes, I hope that you remember this verse about the Hebrews. Stand tall and grow through it. So in order to make the nation weaker, Pharaoh told the Egyptian midwives to kill any babies born that were boys, but let the girls live. But the midwives didn't do it. Exodus 1 and 20 says that they feared God. And it was a capital G, like they feared the God of the Hebrews. So God actually blessed them. And it says that God opened up the wombs of the midwives. When Pharaoh questioned why they weren't doing it, they gave excuses that they couldn't get there fast enough. So the Israelites continued to grow. Pharaoh was just all but paralyzed, though, with fear. It's crazy to me. He had this whole nation working for him as slaves, but was still so afraid. You know, I think it just shows us that he saw more power and more potential in the Israelites than they did. He saw the numbers. He saw the strength. He saw the persistence. He saw the possibility for them to turn on him so quickly. But they were so beat down, held captive, and they couldn't see it. Isn't that just like our enemy? The devil, he's so afraid that if some of us would realize our real potential, our real strength, we wouldn't keep being silent when we really have the power and the strength to speak out or fill in the blank. Whatever you are so afraid to do, whatever you have been so convinced that you are incapable of, is it possible that you are actually really capable 
So then Pharaoh sets out in order to all of his people, not just the midwives. He's not even being discreet about it now. Now he's just telling all of the Egyptians, all Hebrew boys must be thrown in the Nile. But there was a really brave woman, a Levite woman named Jochebed. Side note, uh, Sister Kim Haney has an incredible resource. It's called Seeds of Jochebed. It's a devotion. Uh, you can teach it to your young children. It's really good. If you have young kids, you know this. It's, it's your job to pour into them too. Not just the churches. They don't get near enough hours with the church, but they have a lot of time with you. A lot of time for you to teach them the way they should go, right? That they won't depart from it. So um, these devotions that she has are just full of simple truth. I got mine at the church bookstore here in Odessa, but I know you can get it on Amazon anywhere online. It's called Seeds of Jochebed, and it's by Kim Haney. But anyways, Jochebed. So she refused to accept this fate for her son. So she hid him. It says she hid him for three months. After that three months, she couldn't hide him anymore, and she thought, what am I going to do? And so she makes a basket, a really detailed basket, actually. The Bible lines out exactly how she made it, what was in it, everything, how she protected it, all that stuff. So, But she makes a basket for Moses and sent him down the river. Actually, Moses is not, wasn't the name that she gave him. Uh, Moses is the name that, we'll get to it, Moses is the name that Pharaoh's daughter gave to him in just a minute, but (laughs) I'm getting ahead of myself. So she sends him down the river and sent her daughter Miriam to go and watch as he went. So um, Pharaoh's daughter sees baby Moses and in her tenderness, she can't resist. She decides to keep the baby. Exodus 2 and 6 actually says it like this. She saw the child and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Miriam goes to Pharaoh's daughter and offers to find a Hebrew woman to nurse the baby. Of course, Miriam then, uh, Pharaoh's daughter accepts. She says, Yes, please. And Miriam goes and gets her mom, right? Exodus 2 and 9. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. So I know that babies today aren't typically nursed for years and years. Um, if, If your baby is, good for you, whatever. But in that day, it was common. It's not as common today, but in that day, it was common for several years. Um, The Bible doesn't say how long, um, but we know that it was long enough, long enough for her to make an impact. If you're a mama, you know, every moment matters. And I'm also not sure, maybe you didn't catch it, but the last verse, not only was Jochebed going to get to keep her baby a little bit longer, but she was getting paid to do it. <laughs> paid to do what she would have already wanted to do. So as she rocked Moses in those few years that she got with him, there's no way she knew what his future would hold. But I know that she prayed prayers over him. Prayers for his mind to not be twisted by Egyptian philosophy. I'm sure she had prayers that he would never forget who he was, and more importantly, who his God was. And on and on. But how do I know? 
I know because I'm a mom. I know I know the prayers that I pray over my kids all through the day. It seems like every time I pick up uh, my Abby, I whisper a prayer over her. Every time Ez comes and sits on my lap or gives me a hug, I pray a prayer over him and not not including, you know, the long prayers at night. Prayers of protection, prayers of peace, prayers of, of strength, you know, prayers of their future, all these things, right? And so if I do that, knowing that I'll get to raise these kids until they move out or until Jesus comes, then how much more would Jochebed be praying? I'm talking desperate prayers with tears, knowing that she wouldn't always get to raise him knowing what evil that he would be walking into. And there does come a point that Moses has to go back to Pharaoh's daughter. He gets an Egyptian education. I'm sure he knows all their gods, uh, all these things. He's he's well-versed in all their ways because he was raised as one. One day, though, he goes to see the Hebrews at work and sees an Egyptian doing something unjust. Moses kills him, hides the body, thinks he's in the clear, But later, some Hebrews mention that they saw it and they know what he did. Pharaoh hears about it and wants to kill him. So Moses runs away. And that's a lot of backstory, but I know that there are some listening who may not have known it in detail. And even if you have, sometimes when it's retold to you, new things pop out. At least that's what happens for me. So now I'll fast forward. The place he runs and ends up is Midian. He's treated very kindly. He gets to marry uh, a Midianite woman. Zipporah has a son, actually has two sons. And, uh, you know, life is okay for him. He's doing his best to just be settled in Midian. And he was there on the backside of the desert for 40 years. 40 years of running from what he did. 40 years of fear of going back to the place where his very life could be taken. But God heard the cry of his people and he knew just who to send. Exodus 2 and 23. And it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died. And the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. And they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. Their cry came up to God because of their bondage. Verse 24, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Remember the everlasting covenant. And, you know, as I read that, I'm thinking, okay, about time, God, like about time you step in. But another reminder, right, that God keeps his promises. Doesn't matter how much time passes or what it looks like. He keeps his promises. Verse 25, and God looked upon the children of Israel and God had respect unto them. One translation says he looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. Here's the deal. It doesn't matter how long a situation has been going on. It doesn't matter how long you've been sick. It doesn't matter how long you've been oppressed. It doesn't matter how long you've been in bondage. It doesn't matter how long you've been in a a cycle of sin. When God decides it's time, it's time. And it doesn't have to take a lot of time. In one conversation, God is about to raise up a leader and deliverer for the Hebrews. Moses is tending to his flocks. He's a shepherd, like I told you. You know, that heart of a shepherd would surely benefit him later in leading the Hebrews. Exodus 3 and 2. This is the ESV. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. 
He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Here God shows a sign to get Moses' attention. Exodus 3 and 4, And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God caught upon him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. Another example to us on how to answer when God calls. Here I am. Here am I. Verse 6 and 7, God says, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. I told you, whatever you're going through, God surely sees and he certainly hears. He knows your sorrows, every single one of them. And then God continues, and I come down, you know, God God came down. He wanted to get personal and uh, to continue with the verse uh, to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey. God tells Moses to go. He wanted him to go to Pharaoh and lead his people out of Egypt. But you know what Moses' response was? Probably that of many of us when something looks too big or too hard. Who am I? Have you ever felt incapable, insignificant, not enough, or maybe even just scared of what God is trying to place before you? I surely have. But God answers with this truth. And the same truth rings loud and clear for you. And thankfully for me too, he says this, I will be with you. Also, we should remind ourselves here that God is not a man that he could lie. If he says it, he means it. In verse 13, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? You know, this is important because Moses didn't really get to know all about this God that was speaking to him. He had learned all things Egyptian in school not Hebrew. And though he had time with his mother, it wasn't so long as to know everything. So here I believe he's more saying, God, who are you? I know you're the God of the Hebrews, but who are you? What is your character? Verse 14 and 15. This is our main focus for today. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus Shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am, hath sent me unto you. And God said, Moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Of course, then God continues with instruction for Moses on what to do, who to speak to, what else to say, and ultimately it worked. God was able to deliver his people through Moses. 
with the help of Aaron, Moses' brother, not without doubting or complaining on their part. But anyways, I want to talk to you today, though, about this name. In this meeting with Moses, God revealed what his personal name meant. He told Moses, this is my name forever, right after he gave the definition of it. Names and name meanings are important to God. We know that. Jehovah, or Yahweh, is the self-existent. He was, he is, he will be. He doesn't rely on anything else or anyone else to exist. He just is. It also means he who becometh or the becoming one. Some say that a more accurate translation of his name, that I am, that I am, um, is actually I will be what I will be. And in this case, we see that when God tells Moses to tell the Hebrews this, he is reassuring Moses and the Hebrews, whatever you need me to be is what I will be. And that's exactly how Moses could have the courage that he did to walk into Pharaoh's court with only his staff. God said, I will be what I will be, or I am that I am. Moses, you need uh, confidence. God answers, I am. Moses, you need wonders to convince Pharaoh. God says, I am. I am the wonders. I can do the wonders. Israel, you need a deliverer. God says, I am that deliverer. Later in the wilderness, you know, God says, Israel, you need a provider. I am that provider. I am. Whatever you need me to be is what I am. And this response from God is a promise to Israel that God would just become what they would need him to become. In this case, they deliver for us today. Whatever you need, whatever hardship you're facing, get it in your mind. Think of your most complicated need. Think of the things that look impossible or improbable and know that God says today what he said then, I am whatever you need him to be. Rest assured that he is just that. I want to go a little further with this name though. Jehovah or I am that I am past the exodus of the Israelites, even past the Old Testament and into the new My favorite thing about this name is that God uses it to try to reveal himself to the Pharisees who were arguing with him. So they're going back and forth. This is the New Testament and the Pharisees and Jesus. And we I'll just it's the middle of an argument. I'll go straight to verse 57. Then said the Jews unto unto him, unto Jesus, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Like asking him a question, like, How have you seen Abraham? And um, verse 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. 59, then they took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. Before Abraham was, I am. When Jesus spoke this, the Pharisees knew exactly what Jesus was saying. I am had only one implication. Remember at the end of that, God had told Moses, he said, tell them the I am sent you. 
that was his name. They knew, they knew him in that way. Jesus was God. Jesus referenced something that the Pharisees knew and knew well with their minds, but clearly not their hearts. You know, this time was different when God came. This time, God didn't come to earth as a burning bush to convince someone else to help save his people, but as flesh and blood to do it himself. As a baby at first, that would soon be a man, but still a God of wonders and miracles like he was for the Israelites. In Exodus, God told Moses that Pharaoh would not let the people go until he hit Egypt with his wonders. All of the plagues were miraculous. All of them were unexplainable. All things that no other man could do. Only God. Then Pharaoh would let the people go. When the Lord, the I Am, came in the form of man as Jesus, he did this same thing. He worked miracles to lead to an exodus. And it looked so much different, but the people's bondage was the same. In Exodus, it was literally that they were slaves. But in the Gospels and in the present, it was that they were bound in bondage to sin and that we are in bondage until we choose His deliverance. Bondage and sickness and hypocrisy into all forms of sin. And so Jesus worked miracles as He traveled and preached. Ultimately, getting the world's attention and ready for a change, um, setting up the world to hear full salvation when it would come on the day of Pentecost and thereafter. The wonders, the miracles that he performed in Egypt were in preparation for bondage to be broken. And the Lord is unchanging, right? If that was his method in the Old Testament and it was the same in the New Testament, what do you think about today? He's the same. He's the I am that I am. We said it earlier. He is unchanging. He's still working miracles. He's still trying to get our attention. He's still in the business of setting people free. So I charge you today, go tell someone. Everywhere that you go, you're surrounded by people who simply need to know the I am. They need to know of his history of setting people free from bondage and sin and brokenness and sickness. Share your testimony with someone today, tomorrow, any opportunity that you have this week. Our God does not change, and he is certainly not done transforming lives. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next time.